Remember that everything you have, even as you choose humility, is a gift from Him. The gift of eternal life is a gift to all of us. It's a grace gift that the Father has bestowed upon us. Constantly give Him thanks for everything in your life that happens. How to be a humble Christian. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Christmas is the season of gifts. What's often overlooked, though, are spiritual gifts given to each believer. But are we accepting those gifts? Today, David takes us back to the book of Philippians in the second section of a sermon he simply calls the Incarnation. He came into this world. He emptied himself. Though equal with God, he chose to empty himself and took on the form of a servant of someone willing to serve and not be served, someone who chose humility and thought others, you and me, human beings, were even more important than his own life. And he put on the likeness of man. He took on human flesh. Uh, We call that the incarnation, that God incarnated himself in human flesh in a baby, born in a manger, In Bethlehem, something we celebrate annually called Christmas. Do you see this Christmas text coming alive? God the Father asked the Son to empty himself of much of his sovereign rights and control to come into this world as a baby. And and though he was perfectly God still in that baby, he was also perfectly man. He was in the likeness of man. And though he still had his deity as a part of his life, there was some parts of his deity that was limited, that only the Father knew. Just like the second coming when he comes back again, only the Father knows that day or the hour. But the Son chose to empty himself. Now, another question that that kids ask all the time is, well, when Jesus, who's God, came to the earth, and does that mean God is not in heaven and that God's just on earth. And when Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sins, uh, does that mean that God died? And was God not in control of the world at that point? And here's what you need to understand. My bet is some of you have been asking, what's this pitcher full of water doing here and this glass also next to it? Well, here's what happened. This is perfectly God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in one person together, but then the father asked the son to go and the son did not think equality with God was something to be grasped, but said, yes, I'll go in humility, in obedience to the father, uh, taking on the form of humanity and the likeness of human flesh, and he emptied himself. God the father and the son poured himself into human flesh, which is this glass. Now, Is God still in heaven? Of course. The pitcher is still full. God the Father still lives in heaven, but he poured himself out. He emptied himself into human flesh in the likeness of man. So God the Father is still in heaven, ruling over everything. And God the Son comes to this earth emptied in human flesh so that we can understand what God the Father wants us to understand. Look, if you wanted to communicate to a bird that was on the verge of death and you had all power available to you and you wanted that bird to live as long as possible, what would you do? You'd become a bird. 
you would go communicate to that bird in bird language, here's what you need to do in order to live. Well, similarly, God the Father looked at God the Son and said, would you go and share who I am with those people? So God became a bird. God became a human being and spoke to us in words and languages and styles and forms that we could understand in order to have a view of the form of God, who God is in heaven. So that's what Jesus came to do. He emptied himself out, put on human flesh, born in a stable in Bethlehem, the King of kings and Lord of lords, leaving the splendor of heaven and entering a manure-filled stable to be born. Hey, if I'd been in charge, I would have said, no, Jesus has to be born in a palace. He's got to be born in Rome. He's got to be born to Caesar so people can see how powerful he is. But no, he chose just the opposite, to be born in humility, in a manger, in a stable, so that we could understand the true love of the Father for us. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's verse 8. So here's the last step in the humiliation of Jesus. He not only leaves the splendor of heaven and is born in the squalor of a stable, but he grows up perfectly and righteously in every possible way. He always obeys the will of the Father. Unlike us who rebel against God, unlike Adam and as he's passing on to us, do we rebel against God? Jesus perfectly obeyed the will of the Father in every possible way, was obedient in every possible way even to the point of being obedient to death on a cross. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus cried out to the Father, is there any other way? Because I know when all the sins of the world come upon me and your wrath is poured upon me rather than these people, you can't have anything to do with me. I, I become sin at that point. Is there any other way? And the Father whispered to him in the garden, most certainly, no, there's no other way. And that's when Jesus said, I want your will, not mine obedient in every possible way, even to the point of dying on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Folks, we were lost in a garden called Eden. We were saved in a garden called Gethsemane. When Jesus said, I'm going to the cross no matter what, not my will, but yours, Father, at that point, it was set in stone that we would have the forgiveness of our sins taken care of. So the next day, Jesus dies on the cross, being the perfect Lamb of God, the sacrifice for our sins, the wrath of God poured out on Him. And at that point, the Father did have to turn His back on Jesus. And the Son said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But God had only forsaken Him for a moment because Jesus was laid into that tomb. But there's another part of the story that's about to come up. But what you see in verses 6 through 8 is the absolute humiliation of the Son of God, the absolute humiliation of the second person of the Godhead, the absolute humiliation of Jesus, the Savior of the world. In every possible way, leaving His Godhead and heaven there to come to this earth to die among us as a broken man with all of the wrath of God poured out on Him and not on us. The, the humiliation of Jesus. Paul had this kind of mind. As you think, think about Jesus choosing humility and thinking of us more important than his own needs, giving his life so that we could live. Think about that example. Let that be the way you think. And when you do, the humility that I desire to be in you, the Philippian church and the moments of hope church will come. Think on that. 
But Paul also says, think on the exaltation of Jesus. Not just think on his humiliation, but think about his exaltation. He continues in verse 9, therefore. <laughs> Whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you need to know what it's. Therefore, it is connecting the humiliation of Jesus with what's about to come. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So first question, how has God highly exalted Jesus? Well, after he's laid in that stone cold tomb, the stone is rolled away, not to let him out, but to let us in so that we can see the tomb is empty. And through the resurrection, those appearances to his disciples then, the eyewitnesses who saw the resurrection, the most powerful proof of the deity of Jesus, his resurrection, it is impossible to refute. And he was raised from the dead in exaltation from the father who said, boy, good job. You obeyed me in every possible way. You can't keep a good God down. You can't lie in a tomb forever if you're God. You've got to be raised from the dead. Jesus paid the perfect sacrifice for our sins, and it was approved by the Father. That's my boy. Way to go. Exalted. But then after his days here on earth and his resurrection appearances, he is ascended to heaven. He returns to the Father, and there he is enthroned at the right hand of God the Father, ruling over everything in eternity again. And then finally... The promise of the second coming is going to happen and Jesus will come back and he will judge every single one of us. He came in his first coming, his first advent as the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He came to give us grace and the forgiveness of our sins through that cross on Calvary, not of our works. We can never earn enough to, to come to God's holiness and have him approve of us. He came to us as the lamb who died on the cross. But in his second coming, he'll come back as the lion of Judah, the lion who will judge all the world. And he will look at everyone's sins and judge them accordingly. You'll either appear before him one day as forgiven or not. And it's the key question of the universe. Have you, has your sins been forgiven? Have your sins been forgiven? Have they been forgiven? It is the key question of the universe. And it's either through Jesus or not through Jesus that your sins are forgiven. And you've got to make that choice yourself. So there we see this beautiful picture of the exaltation of Jesus through his humiliation. But also, Paul says that not only was his exaltation given to him, but his name is now bestowed as the greatest name on the face of the earth. The name that is above every other name. What name is that? Well, it's Yahweh, the name that the Jews couldn't even utter because God was so holy, but also the name of Jesus, the name of Savior. It is exalted over any of our names. Think about your name right now. Jesus' name is greater. There's no other name that's greater than the name of Jesus on the face of this earth. Now look at verse 10. So that at the name of Jesus, at the name of Yahweh, the Lord, Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That because of Jesus' humiliation, because he chose the path of the cross, because he chose to leave all of the glory of heaven and enter this stupor-filled world, because he chose to do that, he is lifted up. His name is above every other name in heaven and on earth. 
He is King of kings and Lord of lords, judge of the universe in every possible way, bestowed upon him by the Father who gave him this exaltation because of his obedience in humiliation. And verse 11, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Every knee will bow. Well, does that mean that everybody's going to be saved one day? No. There are going to be people who reject Jesus, but he's still king of the universe. And they'll be forced to confess his name as Lord. They'll be confessed to bow their knee to the Lord because he is in that position of power and authority. And those who deny him now, those who make fun of him now, one day they will have to exalt him and lift him up and confess that his name is above every other name. They may not want to, they'll have to because Jesus is Lord. And that is what this passage says. And Jesus said, all of this that happens, his humiliation and his glorification are for the glory of the Father. So even in his exaltation, when he's raised from the dead, ascended to heaven, enthroned in heaven, uh, when he has been given the promised judgeship in his second coming, in all of that, Jesus still says, to God be the glory. He still points to his father and says, to my father belongs all the glory. Even in his exaltation, there's still humility pointing to God alone receiving all the glory. It's such a beautiful picture of how life on this earth should be lived. If we want to have love and grace and all kinds of different virtues in our lives, especially humility, we've got to choose humility and think of other people as more important than ourselves. That kind of thought life should be ours. That's the thought life that God wants us to have in Jesus. And as we think about his example, that should motivate us to use our lives the same way he did in humility, serving others, thinking they are more important than ourselves. So let me just give you two final thoughts here. How do we apply this passage practically to our lives? Well, first of all, make sure that you constantly choose humility. When you are in different situations in your life all day long, choose humility. Uh, Look, for example, at James chapter 4, verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it is said that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will, look what? He will exalt you. You know, I've heard people say before that humility is a choice. And if you don't choose to be humble, God will choose humility for you. And you know what? I'd rather choose humility than God to humble me in his way. But as we choose humility and we think other people are more important than we are and we live for other people, the scripture says that God will lift us up, that God will take us to new places of heights in serving him. But we first must choose humility. And that's what Jesus did here. Paul said, think about the fact that Jesus chose to leave the splendor of heaven and enter this world. He chose that equality with the Father was not something to be grasped. He emptied himself in the form of a servant, even to the point of obedience to death on a cross. Choose that. And when you do, God said, I'll lift you up. In a similar way, like a resurrection and an ascension and a second coming, I'll lift you up to new places where you can be used by me influencing other people for my glory. And then secondly, always remember to give God the glory. 
Remember that everything you have, even as you choose humility, is a gift from Him. The death on the cross was a gift to all of us. The gift of eternal life is a gift to all of us. It's a grace gift that the Father has bestowed upon us. Constantly give Him thanks for everything in your life that happens, especially the good stuff, even the bad stuff as well, though. But always give God the glory. You know, sometimes... People will give me a compliment about something or another. And I always remember the story of Corey Ten Boom, who was a Nazi concentration camp survivor, a Christian who, after her release, went and spoke all over the world and wrote many books. And Jesus used her magnificently. Someone asked her one time, when you get complimented, what do you do? She said, well, I pretend like it's a rose. I smell it and then I give it to God. Because she knows that everything she's been able to do comes because of the great glory of God. So enjoy a compliment, but always give it back to the Father. That's what happened with Jesus. Even though he was exalted to this great place over all eternity, he continued to give glory to God the Father. And thirdly and finally, always remember that Jesus Christ is Lord. As we who love Jesus live in this increasingly secularized culture that has all kinds of godless and unbiblical ideas, we are to have the mind of Christ. And we need to realize that He is Lord over our lives. In the early church, in the catacombs, as Christians had to hide amidst their persecution, there are places in the catacombs where we see the phrase Christos es Kyrios. It's the Latin for Christ is Lord. They knew that He alone was Lord, not other people, not power, not position, not ambition. What is really exalted by Jesus is His Lordship. And when you know He is Lord over everything, your money, your marriage, your relationships, everything, your life starts to make sense like never before. Jesus is Lord. You're not Lord. Jesus is Lord. Make the choice today to humble yourself as He did and to live for Him and Him alone, always pointing to the Father saying, thank you for what you've given me. And when you do so, folks, not only will you be exalted, not only will you hear the Father's well done, my good and faithful servant, you'll be used in more powerful ways than you could have ever imagined before. What a great Christmas message, reminding us the true reason for the season. To Christ alone belongs all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio in a conversation about the power of Christmas. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you stand at the intersection of homelessness and addiction? Let me put you in that person's shoes for just a second. What is it that you really need? You've probably been one of the individuals who stood at the end of the interstate ramp, holding a sign that said, hungry, will work for food. But you never used the money for food. You bought booze and drugs with it. And most likely, you hate your life. Your addiction has stolen every aspect of hope. You want to be part of the fabric of society, but every morning your addiction screams and you surrender to it. There is one thing you do need, and that is transformation. The place to go is Charlotte Rescue Mission. Charlotte Rescue Mission works from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, 
high-quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community who otherwise would not be able to afford such services. With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, the mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community. Charlotte Rescue Mission is grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks so much for being with us. It's great being with you as well, Jen. Well, in this morning's Moment of Hope, you wrote a fascinating devotion about the power of Christmas. Will you tell us about it? Well, you know, words that we associate with Christmas are words like love, joy, peace, and hope. Mm -hmm. We've already looked at those words over the last several days, but one word that is seldom associated with Christmas, but should be, is the word power, because it is the power of the Holy Spirit that allowed so much of Christmas to happen. I mean, Mm. think about it. Mary had a virgin's womb. She had had no intimacy with a man. And so Gabriel, the angel, comes to her and says, the Holy Spirit's going to hover over you, almost like the Spirit did in creation, when the Spirit hovered over creation and out of nothingness, he created this world. In that same respect, out of nothingness in her womb, God creates this child named Jesus in her womb. How did that happen? And Gabriel said very clearly it would be by the Holy Spirit and all of his power. You know, the Holy Spirit is the silent sovereign. Mm -hmm. He's the third person of the Godhead, no question about that. But interestingly, Jesus said in John 16 that all the Holy Spirit wants to do is to glorify Jesus, just wants to point to Jesus. He's the shy sovereign, someone Mm -hmm. else said, loves to stay in the corner of the room and not draw any attention to himself. But behind the scenes, he's the one who created this world. He's the one who created Jesus in Mary's womb. And I just think we need to reclaim that whole idea of power Hmm. being a part of the Christmas narrative, then taking that to our lives, then in our formless, voided heart, in our formless, voided hearts, in our nothingness, in our death inside, the Holy Spirit came and gave us the new birth. Hmm. He created Christ in us the hope of glory. He placed the Holy Spirit in our hearts because of love. Why? Because God wanted his power and his strength to live in us. And I can't help but remember here, Romans 8, 11, the power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. Wow. Power, a part of creation, a part of the birth narrative, a part of our new life in Christ. I think that word needs to be emphasized, especially during Christmas. Well, all of this is causing me to just have such great wonderment and just continue to think about the Holy Spirit's work, continual work in our lives, and what is He creating in us? And Mm. this is just amazing. That's a good word, Jen, because the same one who created the life of Jesus in us and the same one who created the life of Jesus in Mary and the same one who created life from nothing in creation, Genesis 1-1, is the same one who wants to continue to create a new work in our lives. So if people listening right now feel hopeless and despairing, might they ask the Holy Spirit to do a new thing, Hmm. a new song, a new work in 2022? And may that give every listener today hope because of the power of the Holy Spirit seen, especially during the Christmas season. Well, I certainly have.
have hope. And thank you so much for these thoughts. You know, you're welcome, Jen. And remember, dear friends, that power is something God wants to instill within all of us. And it's what Paul had chained in a Roman prison cell with the Holy Spirit being his only strength, allowing him to say in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, who gives me his power. Merry Christmas to you all. Be filled with the power and love of the Lord. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We'd love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moment of Hope delivered every morning to your inbox. And also check out David's Hopecast. They're both free and available at momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to use your spiritual gifts today.